Let's pray together as we turn to God's Word. Father, we ask that you would speak to us now through your living Word that is, is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Lord, I pray that it would reveal things in our life uh, that you need to uh, transform and change. God, that it would bring uh, life and truth into areas of our life that we um, didn't see before. So we ask that you would do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn to uh, Acts chapter 2. This is where we're going to be spending most of our time this morning in Acts chapter 2. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about Christian community, about how it is necessary. That was what we talked about two weeks ago. Last week, how we talked about how it is, is a challenge to live and to be in Christian community. And today, we're going to be talking about the power of Christian community. So Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, it's the, the retelling of the story of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. And uh, this happened... Um, some weeks after uh, the resurrection of Jesus. And on the day of Pentecost, all of the, the believers in Christ were gathered together, and uh, God did a unique thing. He sent his spirit into their lives in a unique way, in a way that had never been done before. And the apostle Peter began to stand up and to preach a message, and he began to share who this Jesus was, and what his death and his resurrection meant in the life of Israel and in the life of the whole world. And he called people to repent and to turn from their sins and to come to Jesus to receive life. And uh, it says that on that day that there were 3,000 people who came to believe, it, believe in Christ that day. That's a pretty good sermon. 3,000 people. And so this is the description here in Acts chapter 2 of the beginning of the church. It's the birthday of the Christian community, the church. And after Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, at the, at the end of the chapter here, there is a description of the church's life at this time. And this description tells us about the kinds of things that happen when a community comes together and is focused on the gospel and is empowered by the Holy Spirit. These are the kinds of things that happen when there's a community that comes together that's focused on the gospel and is empowered by the Spirit. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and miraculous signs that were done by the apostles all the believers were together, and they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and good, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." What the scripture tells us is that the church grew because the preaching of the gospel was accompanied by a community that lived it out. The preaching of the gospel 
was accompanied, had a partner, and that was a community of people that lived out that message. This message was preached by Peter and the other apostles throughout the book of Acts. There was a clear message of who Jesus was and what he did on the cross and how in the resurrection, how that can change the world and how that can change individual hearts. And alongside that message that the apostles were preaching, that they were saying with their words, there was then this tangible expression of that message called the church. The message was made sense by the community. The community gave the message credibility. The community gave the message authority. The people in Jerusalem at that time and the surrounding areas began to see that there was this unique group of people called the church that was living out this gospel message. And so this good news, this gospel that the apostles were preaching was not just words, but it was being embodied. It was being lived out by a community, and that community gave that message authority. So that's what we're going to talk about today, is the power of community, because what the world needs more than anything else is a community that believes and lives the gospel. That is what the world needs more than anything else, is a to see a community of people who believe the gospel and who live it out. We don't need more books. We don't need billboards. We don't need big, flashy events. We don't need new programs and new ideas. The world definitely doesn't need more information. What the world needs is to hear the good news, and they need to see a community that believes it and lives it. So there are two things today that we're going to look at regarding the power of community. First is the power that community has to help each one of us grow in our personal life with God. And secondly, the power that community has to serve as a witness to the world. So first, Christian community is essential for your own personal growth. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, Speaking the truth in love... We will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You can't grow as a follower of Jesus if you are not regularly in relationship with other believers. You cannot grow as a follower of Jesus if you are not regularly in relationship with other believers. The illustration that Paul gives here in the book of Ephesians is the image of a body. A body cannot grow unless all of the different parts of that body are, are joined together and are each doing their part. Each part influences the other. Each part helps the other to grow and to mature. Uh, every year in our neighborhood, uh, we, have a, we have a block party, and uh, yesterday was the block party in our neighborhood, and so we block off the street, and the kids ride their bikes on the street, and do chalk on the street, and all that, and then in the evening, we do a bonfire, and uh, the kids do s'mores, and the adults do s'mores, and it's, it's, it's a good time together as, as neighbors. And what I noticed last night, and I've noticed this before, is that uh, as we are starting the bonfire, that if you, if you put a, a very hot piece of wood and, and you take it out of the fire, it doesn't burn, right? It needs other pieces of wood together in order to help it burn. I don't know the science behind that. I suppose it has something to do with the oxygen going in between the pieces of wood. I don't know what it is, but there must be more than one piece of wood together in order to make a fire burn. 
You need at least two pieces of wood. It's the same with followers of Jesus. Pile up a bunch of people who love Jesus together, and the fire begins to burn. Take one of those believers and set them aside from that pile, and that person's faith dies. In my years in ministry, I've seen dozens of people who have, who have told me in one way or another, uh, Pastor Ryan, I, I think I'm going to take a break from, from ministry or from the church or whatever it may be. And I always ask them, and I've asked some of the elders who have you know, finished their terms, I said, what are you going to do to invest your time now into the community? Because what happens is when we have that time when we're all piled together with other believers, when we remove ourselves, our faith begins to dwindle really fast. And so, of course, if you're in, in a ministry, if you need to take a break from that ministry, of course, that's fine. But do not take a break from Christian community. Your faith will die. It's by being with other believers that our faith in Christ grows. We need one another. I and mean, very practically speaking, the Christian community protects us from sin and from unbelief. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 says this. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Later in the same letter, he says this, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. This is all talking about the importance of being together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And then listen to the warning that he gives afterwards. He encourages us, challenges us to maintain in community because here's the warning. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. We need one another so that we don't fall into the possibility of unbelief and sin. Both of these scriptures in Hebrews come with these severe warnings about the dangers of remaining in our sin. And in both of these scriptures, the protection, the safeguard from falling away is community with others. It comes from being with other people. It comes from the words of encouragement from other people. I shared that quote from Bonhoeffer a couple of weeks ago that, that the Christ in the words of our brother is stronger than the Christ that is in my heart. I doubt, my own heart doubts, but the words of my brothers bring strength. We stumble, we doubt, we fall into sin, and we need one another to protect us from those, um, uh, from those things that we are uh, tempted to go toward. It's their reminders that the gospel is real. It's their challenge in our own life that we need to repent and to turn from sin that keeps us uh, focused on the better way that we've been offered in Christ. Being a part of a Christian community, a community that believes and lives the gospel, comes with power to help us in our own personal walk with Christ. Without the community, our faith dies. The second thing about the power of Christian community is that uh, we have a more powerful witness to the world when we are together. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. The world needs a community that believes and lives the gospel. And a community that believes and lives out the gospel is a witness to the world of who Jesus is. 
First Peter chapter two, I'm going to begin reading at verse, verses nine and 10. Peter gives the church their identity. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When Peter is talking here, is his focus on you as an individual Christian or on the whole church? The whole church. Over and over again, this is all plural language, a holy nation, a chosen people, a royal priesthood. He is talking here about our identity as a whole church, as, uh, as a community together. And this is what he says, that when we uh, live into this identity as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, this is what he says in verse 11. I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It is us as a holy nation, as a chosen people, that will most magnify and glorify the gospel to the world. Friends, here's the truth. The way that the church lives and acts is the way that the world will interpret the gospel. The way that the church lives and acts is the way that the world will interpret the gospel. Our neighbors who are not following Jesus are not reading their Bibles. They're reading us. Those who aren't following Jesus aren't listening to preaching. They're not listening to Christian radio. I can promise you that. They assume that what the gospel means is what they see in observing the church. If you are a Christian, they will assume that your life is what it means to be a Christian. They will assume that the way that the church lives and acts in the world is what it means to be followers of Christ. Whatever we do as a church, whatever we support, how we act will be what the world believes the gospel is all about. Rightly or wrongly, the world will interpret the gospel through the way that we live. It is a sobering reality. And we all know and we feel that that is true. In particular, even maybe in the last couple of weeks, we feel the hurt and the shame and the embarrassment and the humiliation when Christians who are in the public eye, when they fail. We know that that doesn't rightly reflect well on the church. It doesn't rightly reflect on who Jesus is. Whatever the church does, how we act is what the world will believe the gospel is all about. And so when we talk about being witnesses for the gospel, when we talk about evangelism, often when we talk about that, the picture that we have is usually of one person going to their neighbor or to their coworker to share their faith. And that is an essential part of evangelism. And if you didn't hear uh, Matthew Edwards' sermon four weeks ago, you need to listen to that sermon about the calling that each of us have as individuals to share the gospel. But the scriptures also tell of another aspect to witnessing that I think is often missed by us in the church. And that is that it's not only individuals who proclaim the gospel, it's the whole church that proclaims the gospel. And so the evangelist, the individual who goes and shares the gospel with their neighbor, they shouldn't feel as if they are alone. Behind them, there is a community of faith who have experienced 
the realities, the outcomes, the, the benefits of the gospel. So if an evangelist is sharing the faith with someone who is struggling to overcome an addiction, the evangelist can then invite that person into a community of other people who have overcome addictions because of the gospel and say, here, come and see, come and see the possibilities in Jesus. If a non-believer says, what is this forgiveness thing all about? The evangelist is able to say, here, come and see this, this husband and wife who have been struggling in, their faith for, uh, struggling in their marriage for years, but have overcome that through the power of forgiveness. Come and see what the gospel is like in this community. Let me show you what it looks like. The church is called to be the community of people that reflect that demonstrate what the gospel is about. It gives the message credibility. It gives the message authority. What the world needs most is a community who believes and lives the gospel. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 5. He says that you are a city on a hill and that a city cannot be hidden. The unfortunate thing is that uh, what Jesus says in the Greek is, y'all are the light of the world. Y'all are a city on the hill. Okay, our English language doesn't have a plural you, so unless you're like south of the Ohio River and then they add this thing. Y'all are the light of the world. Y'all are a city on the hill. All of us, of course, individually are witnesses in our individual lives, but our witness has, has its fullest power when it's done in community together. We stand before a watching world, a world that is watching how we live and Jesus said, the world will know that you are my followers if you love one another. It's the main way that the world will come to know that we are his followers. Y'all are the light of the world. So in the New Testament, there's this idea that the church's witness in the world is magnified. It's made louder when it's done together as a community. So I want to talk then a little bit about how this relates to, to small groups. We've been emphasizing small groups over the last few weeks, and we're emphasizing it this year in this, this season of our church's life because of the things that we've been hearing about community over the last few weeks. And we wanted to be sure that in our church that we were uh, equipping leaders and creating spaces in our church where people could enter into community more readily and more easily so they could experience this community that is necessary, that is a challenge, and that also comes with, with power. We believe that being connected with a small group is one important piece of our life together as followers of Jesus. Small groups have the power to help us grow personally in our relationship with Christ. Small groups, I think, will help us to grow stronger as an entire church, and small groups will help us in our witness to the world. Our culture is, is obsessed with, with really big things. We think the things that are most important and the things that are most interesting are, are big. Uh, but Jesus usually describes the kingdom of God as small. Think about some of the images that Jesus uses to describe the kingdom of God. A seed planted in the ground or yeast that's mixed up in a batch of dough. Those are small things. And that's, or a mustard seed. Very small seed. There's something powerful in God's economy and the way that he's designed the world about small things. And so these small groups, these groups of four to 12 people, because they are small, they can help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you're part of a group of four to 12 people, your participation is required. And intimacy is required. Uh, 
being honest and truthful is required. When you're not there, you are missed. When the group commits to doing something together, commits to reading some scripture together, and you didn't do it that week, and you come to the group, everyone's going to know it. There's some accountability there to the disciplines that all of us know are important to us, but that all of us on our own find a difficult time following through on. Small groups make it possible for us to know one another, to confess our sin to each other, to call one another out when we see something that's not right in the other's life. And there's great power in this commitment to each other that helps us grow in our walk with Christ. In the passage from Ephesians that I read earlier, uh, it talks about how each of the body of Christ grows and matures as each part does its work. And being in a small groups helps each part to do its work. Because if you have a group of people of 300 or 350 people, or maybe even we say, let's say, even if we have a group of 100 people, most of the work that's going to be done in a group of 100 people is going to be done by 15 to 20 of those people. And the other 80 people are, are going to be more casual about their commitment in their work and their membership in their group. They're not going to feel as if they're needed, or if they weren't there, they're going to be missed. But if you have a small group of 10 to 12, then the ownership and responsibility shifts from just a few people in that group. The ownership goes to the whole of the group. Each person's gift becomes more obvious and becomes more necessary for the group to flourish. So small groups have the power to help us grow as individual followers of Christ. Small groups have a power to help us grow as a whole church. And I think there's lots of ways for this, but I wanna talk about one example today. I think small groups uh, become a place for us to learn and to practice how to discern the voice of the Spirit in our lives. Just one example, I mentioned this briefly last week. One of the questions that small groups often uh, wrestle with is, is what to do with children as a part of the group. As Katie and I are, are thinking about our group for the next year and those who have uh, contacted us about joining, it looks like we're going to have 13 children under the age of 10 coming to our group. Uh, that's, that's an obstacle. It's hard to have extended times of prayer and extended times of discussion with adults with 13 children in a house that's not big enough for that. And so what we've decided to do, we haven't done this yet, and if you're a part of our group, this is going to be something you're invited to soon, is to have our group meet together and to pray and discern together what God wants our group to do. And so we'll spend time asking, first of all, for the Holy Spirit to guide us with this particular obstacle that we see in front of us. And we'll take time to read scriptures about what the Bible says about children. And I suspect that in the scriptures, as the scriptures always speak positively about children, that we're going to be reminded that our children are not an obstacle to us experiencing the kingdom, but they are a door to us experiencing the kingdom. So in what ways will children need to be a part of our life together as a group. We'll take then time to discuss after we've looked at the scriptures about what the Bible says about children, how does that then relate to the realities of our group and the other needs that are necessary uh, in our group that, 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 that we need to do. And we'll talk about that together and we'll decide together as a group, we'll discern what is the Spirit saying to our group in our particular circumstances through the scriptures and through the circumstances that we have as a group. What is God calling us to do? That is practice in discipleship. By thinking together as a group how we listen to what God is going to do. The, the elders, every Tuesday night, in one way or another, we do that kind of thing. 
or there is a problem before us, and then we talk about that. We ask the Spirit to guide us. We look at the Scriptures to see what it says, and then we go forward and we make a decision. That is an important part of our discipleship, that in small groups, you get to begin to do as a group, as obstacles come your way, as a problem or a trial or a difficulty comes your way that you have to think about through your group, it becomes an opportunity for you to practice discerning the work of the Spirit among you. And finally, small groups and witness. We've talked a lot today about the ways in which community becomes a witness to the gospel. And I want to talk finally about how small groups become a great place for Christian witness in the world. Uh, People in our culture are becoming lonelier and lonelier, more um, disconnected from their neighbors and from communities that really matter. And committed small groups, a group of people who are truly committed to one another, who meet regularly together, is becoming more and more a countercultural activity. To really be committed to a group of people can be an expression of the kingdom of God right in your neighborhood. And increasingly in our, in our culture, uh, people are becoming more and more disillusioned with, uh, with the structures of church. More and more people in our culture feel less and less comfortable walking through the doors of a church because there's all kinds of cultural barriers in their way, things that don't make them feel comfortable. And so I want to give an illustration for you to think about uh, the way that we relate to nonbelievers as a church community right now and the ways that small groups can help us to do that better. And so right now, um, as we think about... um, witnessing to our neighbors, what we often do is we, uh, we have a, a person who may have some curiosity about the faith. And, and, and what we see the goal being is to somehow get them here on Sunday morning. That seems to be, in a lot of ways, our goal. We, we, we certainly want them to come to Christ, but at the end of the day, we want them to come to church. And so there's a church, and this is kind of in our minds. This isn't right, I don't think. It's not right at all, but this is kind of the goal, to, to get them to church so that maybe they can hear the message from the pastor or whatever that might be. But in our culture, more and more, as people are less uh, familiar with the gospel, as church becomes less a part of people's lives, uh, the, go- the, the cultural barriers that individuals have to jump over to go from their life that they are familiar with to our life here on Sunday mornings is a huge jump. So here at church, we have things like specific kind of language and lingo that we use that's completely unfamiliar to them. The songs that we sing have words that are strange to people in our culture. That's a barrier that they have to cross. Certainly, our music is not familiar to them. The the way that we sing, singing all together is not something that people are used to doing. The way we dress may feel odd to people, or they may not know what they should wear when they come to church, and so that's an obstacle. And certainly, sitting through a sermon is something that We don't listen to speeches like this in our culture. This is a huge obstacle for people to overcome. And so what we are expecting of non-believers is that they do all of this work to somehow, hopefully, come to Jesus. That's a lot of work, isn't it? It's a lot of work for them to, to overcome. And so what I want you to think a little bit about as you begin these small groups is ways in which small groups may be a place for an easier entry for people to experience Christian community. 
And so rather than them having to overcome all of those obstacles that I shared and many, many others, um, what if we simply as small groups committed from time to time um, to inviting non-believers or seekers of Jesus Christ uh, to share a meal with us? We simply ask them to come to a home, which is an easier place to come to than a big strange church, and to have them come to a meal and through that to experience Christian community. Do you see the picture? See the difficulty that we often put for non-believers to come and to experience the gospel, and it can be much simpler in a small group, much less intimidating for people who may have uh, a true heart and a true desire to explore who Jesus is, uh, but simply the cultural barriers to coming to a church to hear about that is simply too much for them to overcome. And so I think small groups can be these, these small seeds of the kingdom of God that are planted throughout our city where people can begin to experience real life in Christian community. So this morning, as we finish today, I would like to, to finish with a time of silence, a couple of minutes where we uh, reflect, certainly, on our own lives and what God is calling us to do um, in relation to small groups. We have these 15 groups that are available to you. There are other groups in our city, um, other groups that you may, be, may want to form on your own, but I want to ask that you would seek the Lord in this time of, of prayer and ask him how he is calling you to move more intentionally into some Christian community, to lean in more to other believers so that you are not this log that's been cast out of the fire and is just kind of smoldering here and not burning, but how you can be tossed onto this pile with other believers so that your faith can come to life. So let's take a few minutes of of silence as we think and, and ask God to lead us. God, I do pray for my brothers and sisters in this room as they consider ways that you're calling them uh, to move into Christian community. Father, I pray that you would uh, help them to discern in their life right now and in particular places and busyness and uh, circumstances of their life, that you would show them your way for them uh, to move closer into community with other believers. God in heaven, we uh, thank you for uh, the gift of one another, that you have not left us on our own to follow you, but that you've given us others to walk with us. Lord, I, I pray today again for my brothers and sisters that we would all understand the necessity of Christian community, that even when it becomes challenging and difficult, that we would uh, push through and bear the fruit of, of that challenge. And Father, that we would experience in our own lives the power in our own individual lives and in our witness to the world, the power that comes through community. Lord, I, I pray again, Lord, that you would lead us and direct us in your way for each one of us. Thank you that you know us and you know our circumstances and that uh, you have a door for each of us to walk through today. And I pray, Lord, that we would have the courage and the ability by your spirit to walk through it. In Christ's name, amen.